Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck-Esme. All right, Jenny, what are we going to talk about today? This week, one of our PGY3 residents, Matt McCarty, gave a great talk on facial trauma. He focused primarily on the difficulty of managing the airway in a patient with significant head and neck trauma. This can be pretty scary when it rolls into the trauma slot, so I thought we could talk about this and I could pick your brain a little bit. Oh, absolutely. These scare all of us. I mean, a patient with significant facial trauma, it's got a number of reasons to make you a little bit worried as the patient rolls in. For starters, if they've suffered major facial trauma, there are significant risks for other injuries, including TBI, airway injury or compromise, neck and chest trauma, and aspiration. Their presentation may be further complicated by decreased consciousness due to alcohol or drugs or brain injury. They may be swallowing significant amount of blood, which puts them at a risk for vomiting. They may have broken teeth or other foreign bodies. And if any part of their face or airway has an unstable injury, they can go from bad to worse pretty quickly and really with minimal warning. Quickly evaluating and securing the airway in these patients is really critical. So right away, you want to evaluate for signs of airway compromise. Watch for dyspnea, strider, drooling, trismus, pain with swallowing, tracheal deviation, significant burns to the face or the neck, severe bleeding in the mouth or the nose, crepitus in the neck or the upper chest, and a hematoma in the neck or the lower face. Any of these findings should worry you that you could lose the airway or have a hard time accessing it in the first place. And as always, when thinking about airway management, you want to think about whether you'll be able to bag mask ventilate the patient. If the lower face is disfigured or unstable due to bony injuries, or if there's bleeding or swelling over the lower face, you're going to have a hard time getting an adequate seal. That's always your backup, right? If you can't deliver the tube, well, at least I can bag them. In this case, the bag might be much harder than even the intubation. Additionally, if you find subcutaneous emphysema of the face or the neck, you're going to want to avoid bag masking the patient because that can actually drive more air into that sub-Q space and make your problem even worse. So BVM might be tricky in lots of these patients. So this may be a good time to consider using an LMA. Of course, foreign bodies or difficulty opening the mouth may make that tricky too. Swami, have you used the LMA when you've noticed that the BVM would be tricky? So I have. But I think that it's not always that easy. You know, I usually think of the LMA as simply dropping the mask seal from the face down to the airway or just above the airway. The problem here is that with the distorted anatomy, it might be hard to pass an LMA. Even if you get it in, there might be too much blood in the airway or there may be an obstruction below that level. So no air is really going to get passed. Now, if you're going to do the LMA gentle is really the key. You don't want to force it because if you try to force it down there, you might disrupt the delicate architecture that they have after that injury. And again, you can easily make things worse. As with most scary or tricky things in emergency medicine, proper preparation is crucial. For the traumatized airway, you want to consider right away whether you should call for help. If you work in a shop with anesthesia, ENT, or other services that can provide backup with tools like fiber optics or assistance with the surgical airway, get them on board early. Yeah, this isn't a place where you want your pride to get in the way. Now, if you have fiber optics and you're good at using them, that's fine. That can be your backup, but it's not a bad idea to call someone who knows how to do a trach just in case. Now, once you've decided the patient needs a definitive airway and you've called for assistance, you're going to want to get a double setup going. Do the usual RSI stuff. 
Start with pre-oxygenation with nasal cannula and a non-rebreather. Make sure you've got a couple of working IVs and get your double suction set up. At the same time, have an assistant at the side with a knife, a bougie, and a scalpel in hand, as well as preparing to cut the neck. Hopefully, you've got trauma surgery anesthesia around if a tracheostomy is going to be needed as well. As you're doing that, you're also examining the patient. You want to look at the trachea and see if the trachea itself has been injured. Now, this was new to me in this talk, but apparently, if the trachea itself has been lacerated, it can actually retract down into the chest, making airway access virtually impossible. So if the trachea is lacerated, you need to secure the trachea to prevent this retraction, and then, since it's just there and open, you can just intubate the trachea directly. Any tips on how to secure this loose trachea, Swami? Yeah, it's like a turtle, right? It's like the head <laughs> just like retracts back into its shell. This can make it impossible to establish any airway. So if you see that trachea, it looks like a complete transection. You're going to want to grab it with a clamp. I don't usually tell people to clamp the trachea, but this is a good place to do that. Now, if there's an external wound, that's going to be pretty easy. Obviously, you can grab it. But what could be even easier than that is if there's an external wound and the trachea is lacerated, just stick your ET tube right in that hole into the neck, into the trachea. You've got direct visualization. You know you're in the trachea because you see it in front of you and you just stick the tube in there. If you stick a tube in that way, you basically are going to have to hold that until you go up to the operating room with that patient with trauma surgery or anesthesia or whoever's going to do a formal trach. What you've done is a poor man's trach. The patient did the knife cut and you stuck a tube in it, <laughs> but obviously that's not permanent and there's no good way to secure this except that you're going to stay with them. Now, I've done this once before. Basically, it was a guy who came in after slashing his neck, and he was gurgling blood out of this hole, and we just jammed an ET tube right into it, and I had to go up to the operating room with the patient, with the team, until somebody was there to take over for me and then finish the job of doing an actual tracheostomy. Oh, that is so awesome. So now, assuming the trachea itself is intact you need to determine whether there is an obstruction to the airway and whether that appears to be above or below the larynx. If it's above the larynx, there is no reason to even attempt RSI and orotracheal intubation. If there's an obstruction above the larynx, you have to go ahead with the surgical airway approach. Most likely here, you're going to be going ahead with a cricothyroidotomy. We've talked about cric techniques on this podcast in the past. My favorite is the scalpel finger bougie, as we discussed before. This just seems much simpler, less tools involved, and all things that you've always got at your bedside. There's a great video that Scott Weingart has on how to do this, and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Now, keep in mind, of course, the anatomy, even for this procedure, is going to be made more difficult by any kind of trauma that's to the head and the neck. Edema and hematoma can make it very difficult for you to establish your landmarks. In a setting like this, you're going to want to have backup to your backup. Crike may not be your ultimate backup. You may still want that extra person who can do the trach. If there aren't any obvious signs of obstruction, you can go ahead with RSI. Here, it's going to be important to have your backup methods ready. We sound like a broken record, but backup, backup, backup. Of course, you will need double suction to manage any bleeding. And one good tip I learned about this at the Levitan Airway course was to go in with your suction in the right hand like you usually do. And then you take your suction catheter out and place it to the left of your laryngoscope hand and pin it to the patient's cheek between their cheek and your laryngoscope. Now you have this constant suction going. It doesn't use your other hand. And you've got suction going the entire time as you go in with your ET tube. It works great. That's a great tip. I've, heard, I've seen Levitan do this before. 
before. He's so graceful the way he does this. It does take a little bit of practice, but um, this is something you can do to free up that extra hand. Now, bleeding can be an issue for sure, and this may be a case where the glide scope or video laryngoscope aren't your best option because those optics can get very easily obscured by blood. The most important thing here is to have your plan and verbalize it. Make your RSI attempt, but have the neck prepped and backup teams ready in case you get into trouble. In bloody airways, I like to use a standard geometry video laryngoscope so I can look directly, but my team can look on video to help me with the suction. I'm basically offloading the suction to other people to do. But again, Levitan's tip is a nice one to have in your back pocket if you don't have enough people to help you. Although we're much more comfortable with RSI, you may also want to consider an awake look in the patient if they're still breathing. This may actually give you more time, and it leads to one of my favorite tips. In the breathing patient with a bloody airway, if you can't visualize the cords because there's just so much blood, look for bubbles. Those bubbles are coming up from the trachea, and you're basically going to aim your tube or your bougie right at them. Again, in my N of 1 experience, it was successful. I couldn't see any of the airway anatomy, but I could see bubbles coming up through the blood, and I basically just shot the tube at that, and it was a successful intubation. All right, that's a crash course in dealing with a traumatized airway. Jenny, how about some take-home points? Of course. First, in a patient with significant head and neck trauma, each step of the airway management can be more difficult. BVM may be hard, LMA may be hard, RSI may be hard, so don't be afraid to ask for help early. Second, decide whether the patient has an actual obstruction of their airway. If they are obstructed above the larynx, don't bother with your usual airway maneuvers. Go directly to the surgical airway. Third, when you do attempt RSI, have double suction and multiple airway techniques set up. This is the time to have your friends standing at your side, scalpel in hand, and ready to move directly down the difficult airway algorithm if trouble arises. And then last, consider keeping the patient awake and preserving their own respiratory drive as it may give you more time to secure that airway. That's great. You know, I think these are scary airways, but I think this gives everybody who's listening a couple of tools to make it a little less scary when they come in. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, on Google+, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks. See you all next week. 